Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And now, I can officially say this, on season two, I am now on TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41 This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in my next guest. My good friend, Michael Perry, who's the senior news director for content at the Enquirer, reached out to me and said, we have a new beat reporter starting June 1st, and I think you'll really like him. Now, since the basketball season has started, I've followed his reporting, and I think he does a great job. So I decided to get him on the podcast. I'd like to welcome in Cincinnati Bearcats reporter for the Enquirer, Keith Jenkins. What's going on, Keith? Meach, how are you, brother? Pleasure. It's my pleasure. I'm doing doing very well, man. Um, how are you doing navigating through being a, I guess, kind of new reporter, the pandemic, the challenges of that? Yeah, it's been weird. It's been uh, a weird um, first few months. I guess we're about six, seven months on the job. I think the good thing for me is I'm from here, born and raised, um, so I know the city and I've been around these programs, you know, since I was in diapers. So it's, it, that helps. I think if that wasn't the case, I'd probably be struggling a little bit. But it's definitely, it's definitely weird as you're trying to, you know, build relationships with these coaches and these players, and a lot of our interactions are through Zoom calls and whatnot. But, um, but it's been fun. I've enjoyed it, and I think, you know, everybody, me, them, all of us, we've made the best of it. Absolutely. Now, hey, I'd be doing the listeners a disservice if I didn't give you an opportunity to kind of tell a little bit about your history. I know you talked about being from Cincinnati, but tell us a little bit about your story, because, you know, you see so many media people, but I don't think the fans actually know their story. So can you just briefly tell us your story real quick? Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm uh, I'm from Cincinnati. Like I said, born and raised. Um, Good Samaritan Hospital. <laughs> um, <laughs> you took it way back, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know I mean, uh, no, I went, to, I went to, uh, I went to Warner Hills High School, and um, it's it's funny because um, you see, I played, you know, football, basketball, baseball over there, but you know, football was my sport, um, and UC was the first, you know, major program to recruit me over there, and Rick Minner was the head coach at the time. Um, and I was going to go to UC. My dad played football at UC, Keith Jenkins Sr. Um, he was drafted in 77 by the Falcons. And um, so it just, it was kind of like my steps were, in a sense, already ordered. You know, Cincinnati was already on me. They already knew me, boom. Um, and then Rick Minner gets fired. And I'm like, whoa, all right, now what? Um, so then I actually ended up going to the University of Toledo, which is another offer that I had. Um, so I went there, got hurt, and then, you know, had a career-ending injury, and I actually ended up getting my degree 
from the University of Cincinnati. So, you know, in a roundabout way, I ultimately ended up being a Bearcat. Um, but I was at UC. I was first black editor-in-chief ever there. And um, so I really enjoyed my time at UC. With the news record. With the news record. The news record is the, um, the independent student newspaper over there, um, really news organization. I mean, they do podcasts and radio and TV and all kind of stuff. Um, but that was that was a, a good time, and yeah, I've known Michael Perry. He was also a former sports guy at the News Record, and and mm-hmm. a former editor in chief over there. Um, so yeah, I've I've worked, you know, for the Associated Press and ESPN and all around the country, and um, you know, it just this opportunity came up, and you know, I was kind of in a weird space between contracts and my in my in my career. And it just made sense to have an opportunity to come back home, you know, and, and, and like I said, I, I, you know, since my dad played there and I have uncles with degrees from UC and my tenure at UC, it just made sense. And it just, it, they needed someone that could come in and be familiar and could really, you know, leave and mark and, and, and do some solid work on that beat. And so it just made sense for both of us. So I'm back and it just feels good to really be back home. It seems like, Keith, no matter where you go, you end up coming back to Cincinnati. Right. <laughs> Good or bad, you're right. <laughs> you just, yeah, you, you, you come back. Um, let, let's take one step back a little bit. Um, your sure. father, he played for the University of Cincinnati with football. Uh, what, who did he play for? Which coach? Do you remember? Oh, was the coach in the I, 70s. I know that was a long time ago. I can't remember. Um, back in the day. I yeah, I how, can't remember. How were they as a team? Do you remember? They were pretty rough, um, you know, 5-1 seasons. Uh, he was kick returner, punt returner, corner. Um, he was there for two seasons. He was he started at the University of Tampa um, and then transferred okay. to the University of Cincinnati. He, I remember the game where um, I'm dating myself crazy, but Blue Adams broke one of his records one game. Um, I think it was a punt return, and uh, my dad and I were there, and he was pissed. Um, (laughs) I think, think, like, everybody, you root for the next generation, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, that's your legacy, you know what I'm saying? So you want to see those, you know. So, But, but no, it's weird being back because um, I've had a lot of people who have, you know, called and emailed and and, and hit my website and like, like, man, I remember when your dad was playing. Or the cool thing is they remember when I played or they knew my mom or they know my uncle. or So wow. I, that's kind of the cool part of being back yeah. home is, you know, I am of this city and of this fan base. Yes, I'm a journalist. I'm objective. I try to attack every story, you know, with that objectivity. But everybody knows I'm a Bearcat, and it's not a secret. So, you know, it's just, it's been cool um, that the city, I feel like, has embraced me. And they, they really, you know, I feel like they, they've watched me grow from when I used to run around there with my dad and then, you know, my playing days and all that. So it's been really cool to, to be back and, and, and be, I guess, welcomed warmly by the city. Absolutely. Hey, you, you also did a story on George Wilson, Big Jeff. Yeah. Can, you, can yep. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so it's it's funny. So um, I had just gotten here, and I first met George, um, I think, man, in 2007, I want to say. Um, I was working for WCPO at the time, and I think it was it was either me or Mark Slaughter or me and Brooks Merriweather. We were, we were out on assignment, and this was back when they used to have, like, the summer league games. I don't even know if – I mean, I guess not because – 
COVID, they probably didn't, but um, they had the summer league games over at Woodward. And, um, you know, we went over there. George was there. We started chopping it up. So I've known George for so many years. So I, I get here, and um, Bob Huggins did a story with, um, I think, Andy Katz, and he talked about his top players of all time. Um, and he was mentioning, you know, how he thought, you know, Bobbitt was the best shooter he ever had. And he talked about mm-hmm. Kenyon's versatility and how much of a force Danny Fortson was down low. And this his, and then he talked about some West Virginia guys and, you know, Beasley and just his top players. Um, and I'm like, you know what? I want to do my top players. Who do I feel are my top players? Um, and you see history. So I do a list and um, I did it by position. So I had uh, Kenyon at five. I had Danny Fortin at four. I had Jack Twyman at three. I had Nick Van Exel at two. And then I had the big O at one. And then I had some, some yeah, right. And I had some guys. <laughs> off, my, my number one uh, off the bench guy, my sixth man, um, was Melvin Levitt. And it's it's not to say that, I think Melvin is the sixth greatest player in the history of UC basketball. But, you know, when you think about a sixth man, you want a guy that's instant offense, gets the crowd up, you know, can yep. if you're in a rut offensively or defensively, Melvin's going to come in and give you that energy. And I don't know of any player in program history that was a more of an energy guy than Melvin Levitt was. Um, so I, I, I that was my list. And then, of course, I had to have a lot of honorable mentions in there um, so I had, you know, Ron Bonham and I had George Wilson in there and a few other guys. And, um, so I get a call from George, right. And George, <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, Hey Keenan. I'm like, Hey George, how you doing? He's like, well, I was a lot better until I read your list. And I'm like, Oh, shoot. Oh. So George and I started chopping it up and he was, he was like, he was adamant about, um, he wanted more, not him himself, but he wanted more representation from those national championship teams. Um, hey, you know, George we will let you know. No, nah, and you know, I'm grateful because one of the things that when I was younger, because you know, I grew up a huge, huge UC basketball fan, and you know, my first team that made me fall in love with that program was the 92 squad. I mean, Nick Van Exel, I think me being a little kid and seeing little Nick killing it on the court, I think I gravitated towards him. Um, and that team was amazing. And then and then it was Danny Fortune, and then it was Kenyon, and then it was Steve Logan, and then, you know, boom, boom, boom. Um, but after George and I had our conversation, and, it, you know, he was upset, but we had a respectful conversation. And I yeah. said, you know what, George, the problem with, what I feel you see where they have lacked throughout the years is I feel like they haven't properly given those championship teams their due. Mm-hmm. Um, we th- All of us think until we really start digging in and, and really learning the history of the program that Oscar Robertson was a part of those teams. He was not. Um, Jack, we know Jack, we see Jack Twyman's number up there. We know how great he was. He was not on those teams. There is not a number up there in the rafters um, from those national championship teams. So I, 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 I sat down with George, and we went down in his basement where he's got a big Hall of Fame and, and of just memorabilia galore. And I just I just wanted him to talk with me about how special, you know, 61, 62, those seasons, um, you know, what he learned 
you know, he's learned so much from Oscar who had just left um, before he got there. And, you know, just the run that those guys had, you know, nearly winning three straight, um, you know, it just, it's it just a remarkable run, one of the best in the history of college basketball. And frankly, I don't think the university of Cincinnati has done a good enough job of, of pushing those teams and those men to the forefront. So that was my mission to introduce an entire new generation of fans um, to those teams, to those players. Um, and I just, and, and then I ultimately kind of wanted to force UC's hand in a sense that, you know, we got the new AD and John Cunningham, who I think is yep. a great guy. Absolutely. But I think one thing he has to do is learn about those teams and then make the decision, how can we, you know, better acknowledge and memorize those guys who, frankly, are dying. I mean, they're – George Wilson's 78 years old, you yep. know, and he told me, look, man, I don't know how many years I got left. So I just I, – that's that was my mission to just bring more light on those all-time great teams, and hopefully I was able to do that. Well, well, first of all, I, I agree with so much of what you just said. And just to even piggyback what you're talking about, so Terry Nelson was on my podcast, and we kind of were previewing the season and talking about um, this season, this Bearcat team. But we mm-hmm. were talking about, you know, his final four team that he was part mm-hmm. of, and just, just the group Terry played with and yeah. how, in my opinion, they are the most recognizable group in UC history. Sure. Like, you know, Obviously, Kenyon Martin is a recognizable player, but that 92 team is the most recognizable team. And and Terry and I talked about this both on the podcast and off. How funny is it? They didn't win a national championship, but they are far more popular than the two teams that won the national championship. And furthermore, Keith, I, I put this to the test of Terry and everybody that was in the room. I said, name the starting lineup or, or five, six guys on that national championship team yep. and people struggled people and, and people were like, um, Oscar. Nope. He wasn't. Nope. On that team. Right. Like See, that's said. always the first name. It's, it's always the first name. Always yep. the first name. People didn't know. And then I said, okay, the final four team, everybody's like Nick, Terry, yep. C. Blunt, yep. E. Martin. Yep. You know, and everybody knows it. Like, boom, it just rattles off like Bell Biv DeVoe. You know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> 100%. So, 100%. So I I love that you did that, and I think you're and then, spot on. And, and not to cut you off, but, like, one thing we got to remember, too, about those national championship teams is they had four black players in the starting lineup. And we talk mm. about, what is it, Texas Southern? My It's early in the morning, my, my brain. But, like, we recognize that team as having the, the first team with all five, which they should be remembered as that. Like, that's a big deal. But right. UC had four during a time where – there were so many segregated schools. Like, you know, um, George talked to me about his stepdad. George is from Chicago. His stepdad had to tell him, hey, I need you to know in Cincinnati, they're right across the river from the segregated south. So you do not cross that river. And, you know, right down the road in Lexington was Adolph Rupp and the amazing Kentucky Wildcats team who only had white players. This is during that era. So mm-hmm. that team, yes, they were amazing and they were great, but just from a historical perspective and their impact on integrating the sport, they should be remembered for that, if nothing else, you know. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, as I'm thinking, I'm like, man, we, we got we to gotta talk about this squad for sure. <laughs> and, you know, for it, sure. it, 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 it's funny you say that. The, I, I do agree, and I think Cunningham is, is going to be a great AD at UC, and I think – he and I have had this conversation recently 
that recognizing the past players and the past success helps your future. And one of the things that I wanted to accomplish with this podcast is to have the ability to highlight a lot of former players' stories that just weren't told. I mean, on this podcast, I've interviewed almost 40-plus former players, and I've had so many UC fans reach out to me and say, I never knew his story. I, I didn't wow. know this about him. I didn't know what a great player. Like, I interviewed Herb Jones, who was a yeah. huge part of that Final Four team. Yep. And the funny thing is, I had people coming up to me after they heard that interview, just, just randomly people coming up and go, Herb was the most important person on that team, and I did not know that. I always mm-hmm. look at Nick and, and Coach, mm-hmm. and I'm like, so I think – in, in concert with a lot of different, like you, myself, and other folks, and UC, to, to bring to light, I think, the great history of UC basketball from, from all the way back to the 60s and, and prior to is, is, is definitely a must if the Bearcat basketball program wants to continue to reach new heights. You, you've got to promote your future, your past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, I completely agree. Um, so hey, we we've talked. That was actually a great great conversation. Didn't know we were going to go there, but I'm glad we did. Um, now let's talk about right now. Um, let's talk about this Bearcat basketball team. We've had you know mm-hmm. pretty much a small sample size thus far, four games. I want to discuss those four games, but also I want to get into the next two games with USF and then at Georgia. We'll, we'll get into that shortly. But from the four game sample size that we've seen thus far. Um, what's your impression of this team? I think that when I look at this team, I'd say that there are three guys who know their role, and that's it. I think you start with Keith Williams. I'd start with Jeremiah Davenport, and perhaps to a lesser degree, but I'd still put him on this list, David DeJulius. I think these are the three guys on that roster that when they hit the court, they know exactly what they're expected to do, what exactly their role is for John Brandon and that team. Um, the other guys have no clue, and that's no shot at John. That's no shot at the team because he's got a group full of, you know, transfers and freshmen who, hey, guys, I know you just graduated a minute ago, but I'm going to need you to play, you know. So he's got this fresh group of guys and all these different puzzle pieces and they're all trying to figure out how they best fit, when should they play, who should come off the bench, who should be in the starting lineup. And, you know, with this unconventional crazy season and this truncated off season where they didn't get to play as much and, and be around each other as much as usual, it's just been a kind of a rocky start, and I think it's kind of to be expected. Um, but those three guys are really the only guys that – you know, know what the hell they're supposed to do out there. Um, I think Tari Eason is special, and I think we've seen glimpses of it. You know, the freshman forward, Seattle guy, um, one of the best high school basketball players in the state of Washington last year. Um, he's special, and I know I think it was Keith or maybe DeJulius who joked that we may not have him that long. You know, he, he he's that talented, mm. um, and I think that Brandon saw it and said, all right, I need you to start. Um, so he put him in the starting lineup, and he's like, you're just too special. And I, I think what we saw is maybe Rappolis 
he may not be able to fill the role that John wanted him to. And that's no knock on rap. I just think it's just as he's figuring out what is on his roster and what he'll need, I think he's kind of, you know, like I said, putting the pieces together. So I think we've seen glimpses of greatness, and I, I think we've seen where they literally don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, and it's no knock. I mean, I just no, think it's yeah. almost, a, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, they're really suspect out of timeouts. They're, they're suspect and out of bounds plays. Um, but these are all things that Brandon himself have has owned up to. Um, the first game of the season, they played against the zone defense and had no idea what to do. Um, and that was something that Brandon's like, okay, that's my bad. We didn't practice that. They hadn't played in the zone. We weren't sure if they would do that. And that. so they're just they're very young. They're very um, you know they're they're inexperienced as far as with each other. Um, and I think we're going to see them probably you know improve exponentially as the season goes along. But right now, yeah. I mean, they're just figuring things out. And you know, at a two and two, I think that's exactly what you would think they'd be. And it, with a team that, well, credit to them. They went down to Knoxville, and I think Knoxville, I think yeah, Tennessee, um, may be the most talented team in the country. I don't want to say they're the best team, but like from top to bottom, their roster is loaded with NBA guys. Um, and and UC went down there and went toe to toe with them, and damn near beat them in a when a game where they I hate to say it, but they're playing against the refs too. Because I've I've never, yep. it's been a while since I've seen a game called that way. Um, it, the the disparity and the discrepancy between the two foul calls were just insane. But you know, we're seeing that this team has the potential. So we'll see how they start to look here. You know, after the new year for sure. And I I do want to talk about that Tennessee game a little bit more. So I'm gonna jump into that in a second. But looking at this two and two record, if you really look at it, so take all of what you just said. And I think it's very important because they've played Lipscomb, Xavier. Furman, and Tennessee. And in my yeah. opinion, of those four teams, they're all very good teams. Like, sure. they're great teams to help prepare this, this Bearcat team. Now, here's the deal. In the past, in a non-pandemic year, you know, UC would play, you know, three or four, maybe even more teams you've never heard of in your life and <laughs> blow them out, and, and they would have exhibition games. So and they would have so many practices prior to that. So going into games like this, you know, Xavier or Tennessee, they would have had more reps together, you know, mm-hmm. more more time of dealing with adversity. But here you yep. are thrown into a tough team in Lipscomb who plays a zone, like you said, that they just weren't prepared for. Xavier, who I think is a better team than most, than most people expected, get three guys back for that game, two off COVID, and Adam exactly. Tuckle gets his waiver. Furman yep. is a very well-coached team and offensively is <laughs> – I mean, they run some good shit. And yep, then, yep, it, yep. So they, they played a tough, and I think fans, uh, you know, I was looking through some some tweets after that Tennessee game. I'm like, folks, they're playing good teams. Like, and they're, yeah. they're two and two. <laughs> and close yeah. to winning, you know, yeah. could be 4-0 and if a couple things go differently. Thoughts on that, Keith? Yeah, and that, that Xavier game was tough. And I, and I said this to uh, our Xavier reporter, Adam Baum. Like, I, I told him before the game started, I'm like, the difference in this game, I don't think it's going to be talent. I think it's going to be the fact that Xavier had already paid four or five games. 
going no into that game. And you could tell, like, they just knew each other better. Their sets were better. They were more organized, particularly defensively. Um, and even through all of that, that was still a game. Like, you see with a possession or two of that thing going. And, and the, the thing, too, in both of these games that they've lost, they had leads late. Like, dipping into the six-minute mark, they were leading in both of those games. And I agree with you. I think Xavier is a much better team than we give them credit for. Um, like I said, Tennessee, I mean, Brandon said this is a Final Four team, and I don't disagree with them. They got At least they got Final Four talent. They got a coach in Rick Barnes. I think some people are hot and cold on him. I think he's a good coach. Um, so they, they lost to two quality opponents um, that they nearly beat. And I think what we're seeing is – the the failure in that late game execution it just shows you that these guys don't know each other, but it also shows you freaking Keith Williams you got to get on the court bro, like you got to get on the court like like because that as much as I like okay this team they're going to be heavily dependent on Keith's play. He's just he's he's going to go. They're going to go as far as he can take them, and he knows that. And Brandon knows that. And Brandon wants him to go out there and drop twenty five a game. And, and but it's the crazy thing is Keith can he's shown that he dropped twenty seven on Furman. Was it Furman? Um, mm-hmm. Dropped twenty seven that game. But the thing about him that's special is defensively he's so good. Like he can lock down whoever. But you can't do that when you're on the bench and he's having a difficult time figuring out how to play effective defense without fouling. Now I think that Tennessee game was a bit of an aberration. Like I just, they were calling crazy stuff, but I also think Keith had some silly fouls in that game. And as a player, you got to figure out, okay, this is how they're going to call it. Okay. I have to adjust. If they're going to call it this tightly, I need to adjust. I need to figure out what can I do to help my team and stay on the court. And I don't think he did a good enough job doing that, obviously, that night, um, that day. But Keith has to be on the court. And when he's on the court, they're just an entirely different team. And we've seen it through these four games. When he's out of foul trouble, able to be aggressive on both ends of the court, they're a really freaking good team. And when he's not out there, they're just not that good. So I want to take that. So – Prior to the season starting, I did a a kind of a preview of this team, and I said two things in the preview. Um, Keith Williams has to be a leader of this basketball team, and David DeJulius has to be the the head of this whole thing. Like, he has to be the CEO of this operation Operation on the court. court. So, So, but but here's one thing that I want to say about Keith. I I think – I've kind of resigned to the fact that Keith is never going to be your Trey Scott type of leader. Like he's not going to be that grab everybody together in the huddle, talking and all that. He's got to lead by his play. 100%. Right. He's got to lead and and be that guy that does so many things. Because, listen, almost I would say looking at their schedule, almost 90% of the time stepping on a court, he is – if not the athletic, most athletic guy on the court, top two. Athletic sure. guys on the court, period, right? So he, he has to enforce that. And then secondly, which I want you to talk about this, in my opinion, I think David DeJulius, because of his, you know, past experience, kind of his, you know, you know, um, you know his, his, his savvy, his, his veteranship, needs mm-hmm. to be the vocal leader and the CEO on the court. Do you agree with those two things? 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I think the best way to answer that is I'm not sure yet because I think they're still trying to figure out who, like, I, I think Davenport in a weird way is, he might be that guy. And I don't know if, if that's who he should be right now, but he's almost the guy that they're looking to for that energy and for that vocal leadership. And, but I do agree with you that I, I, what I thought was going to happen, I'll be honest, but I thought as this season would go along is I thought we might see David DeJulius more at the two. And then I thought, because I thought from everything that we were hearing from Brandon that Mike Saunders was going to be freaking amazing. And not to say that he won't be, um, but I thought that this kid would come in ready to roll, just going to freaking assassin, a speed bullet on both ends, dishing it out. Just da, da, da. So I thought as this season would go, you know, Brandon being so high on Mikey, I thought he'd be like, look, man, take the ball, go, hey, we're going to move David off the ball, make him play two, which is something they did a lot at Michigan, and we're going to go that route. But I think what we're seeing is David has embraced this point guard role. He's like, no, nah, this is mine. I got this. And that's good. I mean, he's leading the team in assists. He seems to really be a great leader as far as keeping the offense going at the right pace, making the right plays, helping guys be um, in the right spots. So I, I do agree with you that, um, you know, he needs to be that CEO and that leader of the team. Um, but, I mean, look, man, I'm not sure who has to be the vocal guy. Like, I'm not sure if the if he has to be that guy. I think if I think you know if it is Davin, like the, the way that Davenport is. It, what I love about his game is he's like like I talked about Melvin earlier being that instant guy off the bench. Mm-hmm. Davenport has pulled this team out of fires every time he comes yep. into the game, especially yep. in Tennessee, because Keith was had three fouls in 23 seconds. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And then Davenport comes in and three point, three point, defense, steal, rebound, yep. boom. Um, so I, I think you know I had asked Brandon before the season started, um, you know. Trey and, and, and Jaron were so big parts of this team a season ago. Um, who takes on those roles? Is this more of like, Keith, you're now Jaron? Or you're like, and hey, you know, you are, this, this guy's going to be the next Trey? Or and he's like, we don't know. He's like, my job to figure out who is which role. And I think as these guys figure out each other and they get comfortable in this team and this, and the thing too, man, is like, when you're at these games, it's so weird because there's no fans and it's quiet and there's no energy. So, like, during moments where these teams are usually going to grab a hold of the energy in the arena and they need that extra boost, it's not there. So that's that may be the biggest thing that they need, not just Cincinnati, but college basketball teams in general, is that maybe the most important player on these teams is, is is who can provide that instant energy because it's just not there this year because of these empty arenas. Um, and I think Davenport has been that so far. But salute to, to Julius, man. Like, he takes really good care of the basketball. Like, he had his first um, turnover against Furman of the season. And Brandon was like, it shook him up a little bit. And I'm like, yo, bro, like, you can have turnovers. It's fine. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it, it I, you know, David is, is, is a special player, and I think, and like I said, I think he's one of the three guys that know what to do. I think one thing that's going to be important for this team 
is Chris Vogt. And look, man, you're seven for one, two sixty. Okay, you cannot get one rebound in a game. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that. And I understand that he may not be the most assertive and aggressive, bro. But I'm six foot, two hundred pounds. I'm well past <laughs> my athletic prime. You throw me on the court and give me thirty two minutes of action. I'm gonna figure out how to get you more than one rebound. And it's just yeah. it's unacceptable for him to be that. I mean, I'm not saying he needs to give you 20 points and 10 rebounds a game. You'd love to see that. But for a guy that, you know, went out and, and got some feedback from the NBA and, and, and they let him yeah. know what he needed to do to get to that level, well, I need to see more from you in your senior year. So, I don't know. I I, I think this team could be good, but, you know, they got to figure out, you know, what they want to be and, and, and what how these puzzles are going to fit. Let's talk about the uh, the assertion of uh, Tari Eason into the to the lineup, and I, I thought that yeah. was a great move. Um, and I think, in, in my opinion, if they would have had some more games prior to, I think this move would have happened a lot earlier, and you would have seen Atari play against the Xavier um, earlier. If they if they could kind of see how rap worked with vote, which I think is too slow, it, it, it doesn't work um, together yeah. for long stretches. So um, just get, give me your thoughts. I know you talked about Tari a little bit at the beginning about him being very, very special, but what are you seeing about him that's so special on the court? He's so long. He's so long. He's very athletic. And I think those two things are what it, it, it separates him from everybody else. Um, he's a true six eight, six nine guy with a huge wingspan. He can jump out of the ceiling. Um, and then he can step out and shoot the three. But I think the coolest thing is he can play multiple positions on the defensive end. Um, he's still a freshman, so he still is a bit careless with the ball at times. Um, he still kind of puts himself in weird positions defensively at times. And he's he's played four college games, so you would understand, yep. all right, he's still figuring things out. But just athletically, he's special. I mean, he's just – you just can't teach that. Um, I don't remember which game it was, but I think David threw a a, uh, alley-oop that was like four feet above the rim, and Tari went up there and got it. And it's like, man, so Mm -hmm. I I think we need – you know, rap is just – I think rap's role on this team is going to be the fact that he's the elder statesman. He's the Mm -hmm. graduate transfer that has played a lot of college ball at different levels. He knows the game. He probably can help the younger guys, coach them up, and and, and keep them grounded when, you know, emotions are high or they're nervous or whatever the case may be. Um, Mm -hmm. I think Brandon wanted him to be this juggernaut, and he just isn't. And I'm not saying he can't be, but he's all, he's, like you said, he's slow. You can't have him and Chris on the court at the same time. You just can't because you'll get killed defensively. So you put Tari inside who can counteract with Chris. And, you know, I think they work well off each other because, frankly, Tari can hide some of Chris's deficiencies. Yeah, um, for sure. But, but Chris just, he just, it, it's frustrating because, and I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, you know, you know, talk too much ish about him, but um, when he when we talked to him first at media day, he had mentioned that he had a uh, shoulder injury the second part of the season last year, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that makes sense, like because as a fan of this program, like la- this time last year, I was in Wisconsin covering Packers, Bucks, Badgers, all that Marquette, um, so I didn't see them as closely as I would have liked, but 
as a fan of this team, I still keep my eye on them, and I'm like, yo, something's up with Chris. Like, what is going? Like, what yep. is the deal? Yep. And then hearing about the shoulder injury, I'm like, oh, I get it now. So I like, okay, I like, all right, let me give him a break. He was hurt. Like, he's going to come in here and start to really kill it. And I just haven't seen that. And I think for this team to reach its full potential, and I don't want to put so much on his on his, on his his back, but he has to be better than this. Like, he, Brandon, has, Brandon has to be able to put him on the court and say, he's going to give me 10 and 8. 10 and 8 mm-hmm. consistently every night. If he can give me 10 and 8, it's, they're a different team. He can't have 5 and 5. He can't play... 32 minutes and have a single rebound. It just, it just can't happen. He's just, and you just, you're too big, bro. Like I need you to give me more than that. Yeah. So I, I just hope that, you know, if his goal is to play at the next level, um, this is it. This is the time to really show, you know, what you're capable of. And as the senior leader, one of the senior leaders on this team, they need you to come up big, man. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we can watch him progress and, and, and fill this role as the, as the season goes on. I think with, with vote last year, um, I remember going to. You guys about Tari. I'm talking about Chris. My bad, but no, Tari's that's, special. Tari's special. We're, we're, we're going to get to that. <laughs> I got to tell you a story about about vote. I went to practice last year, and I was sitting down. I was actually talking to vote at practice, and okay. and he was kind of like leaning. It was an awkward lean, and I'm like, "What is up? Like, why are you leaning?" And he's yeah. so big, and he's sure. leaning, and he goes. My shoulder's messed up. He's like, don't tell anybody. He's like, don't tweet. He's like, my shoulder is jacked. So I knew when he told me that, like, I knew how bad it was. Mm-hmm. But but you made a great point. I think one of the, the great things about basketball today is these kids, you know, i.e. Keith, Chris, can go test the waters of the NBA, get some feedback, come mm-hmm. back, and now apply that. So Chris had to get certain feedback. That's got to show on the court very mm-hmm. soon. Like, you mm-hmm. you know you've got to apply that. So totally agree with that. Um, another point you made, rap. Um, I've listened to a couple press conferences with him, talked to um, Coach Brandon and some players, and he's kind of like that Rajon Rondo where he can provide. You know, Rajon with the Lakers last year is, is like leading film session. He's talking mm-hmm. to guys about the small nuances of the game. And yep. rap can bring that type of veteran leadership that he might not be able to do a lot more on the court right now, the way things are yep. panning out. But he can be that Rajon Rondo. You know what I mean? Yeah, and his, his, like you said, like Rondo, rap's IQ is through the roof. Like, Man. you know, what he can't do maybe athletically or what he comes up short there, he is such a smart basketball player. Um, yep. And he, he can – dissect plays and when he talked about David's play at point guard and his his value there the way he was able to just break it down or what David brings to that lineup I mean he is obviously just a super 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 smart guy and I think that's probably going to be his I mean I, I think he is a valuable player of course but his brain is what's going to be the most benefit for this team yeah um r- real quick back to, to Tari one thing that's impressed yep. me is being a freshman and then also being a freshman that's thrown into the starting lineup. I believe I heard that Gary Clark was like the first, the last, yep. the, the, yeah, the first power forward really to start as a freshman. So him being yep. thrown in that, that fire, one thing that's really impressed me, and especially in the Xavier game when Tari got in, was he has this calm about him. Yeah. It, yep. it, it's, it's a calm, and, and I think somebody addressed that in the post 
and and just was and you know just like you know I just just try to be calm out there and, and and that's been very very impressive to me. Where do you think he gets that that calm from? No, that's a great question because when you when you talk about freshmen and that's at any sport like football, bat, whatever the case may be, if one thing that they'll tell you is it's just hard to get used to the speed of the game. Yep. Like it just everything's going so fast, and I'm just trying to get things to slow down and da 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 da. Um, for him, man, he just seems like just this really easygoing, laid-back guy. You know, when we ask him, man, how did you he – he had a big block um, against Furman, and he's like, well, man, like I just – I just the other team wanted to score a point on my team, and I just didn't want them to score a point on my team. <laughs> so I didn't let them score a point on my team. Like he's just – he's so easygoing. And, you know, when he gets on, and I think that's that's a huge strength for him. He doesn't seem rattled. I mean, even when he's, you know, in foul trouble, he's not, you know, throwing fits and throwing his towel and Brandon's mm-hmm. talking to him. He's not, you know, he just, he seems, he seems to be uh, mature beyond his years. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him one-on-one and, and really get to know his story. I'm looking forward to doing that. Um but he does seem like, you know, a, a freshman who is who is well mature, well more mature than that. So I, I, it's it's I think he's a guy as this season goes, we're going to see more and more of how special he truly is. We've seen glimpses, but I think as he gets more and more comfortable at this level, and I think you know Brandon starts to really understand what he's got in him and starts to run some sets for him, and, and they he and Keith can freaking get on the court at the same time more and really mm-hmm. start to work off of each other. Um, I really think that, you know, when this season is all said and done, we're going to look back and, man, Tari was really freaking good. I agree. Jumping to a, back to another freshman, Mike Saunders Jr., um, and I tweeted this out. I would like to see moving forward um, a, a happy diet of, of Saunders and DeJulius on the court at the same time. Mm-hmm. And 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 you talked about you know Mike being a point you know, and the Julius maybe moved the two but I like them together from this standpoint I think the Bearcats have struggled defensively thus far you know you look at the penetration help side's mm-hmm. not there and a lot of that starts with doing your job you know I'm, I played for a defensive coach in, in uh, you know Coach Huggins sure and one of the things that falls on that guard position, being able to stay in front of your guy and pushing that offensive player to, you know, a box, whatever box that coach wants you to push him to. And I just think Mike Saunders' speed and the Julius, those two together can really help this team out defensively, keeping those, you know, keeping that penetration down. Um, thoughts yeah. on that? No, I agree. And and like I said, I, I think in, in one, I saw in one way or form, those two guys would see more, um, court action at the same time. And I think it's still possible. Um, I think, you know, Mike is still trying to figure this thing out, too, as a freshman. Um, but it, like you said, he, he's special defensively because of his speed. Um, yeah. He's relentless. That obviously is a um, – it's obviously something that Brandon said, look, if you want to play, you're going to play defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's something that, you know, doesn't seem to be a – burden for him like when he's on the defensive side he he gets he gets after it he gets low um he's tenacious um he uses every bit of every minute that he's on that court um good or bad like even if he makes a mistake but i mean and, and look if you're going to make a mistake as a coach look make it 100 miles per hour right don't be out there you know whatever whatever half percent um go all out and we'll live with the result and i think that's what we're seeing from mikey is this 
he goes a, a hundred thousand miles per hour, but he's under control. I think in a lot of cases, you know, he he's still seeing the court. He's a freshman, so he's figuring it out also. But like like you said, I think his speed um, is and he's he's a good sized guard. He's going to cause some terror on a lot of guards this year, and you know he's one of those guys too. Like as he continues to get more familiar, more comfortable with what Brandon needs of him, with the type of players are at this level, and I think too, like as these guys get in the conference play, like I'm really curious to see what happens um, Wednesday night when they open conference play against a team that they'll see again. But once they get in the conference play and they're seeing similar and they can really get some film on these guys and figure out what's expected of them each and every night, I think we're going to see more and more guys fall into their roles. Um, the expectations that we may have of some guys are going to be fulfilled. I think we're going to see more of the Madsen twins because we haven't seen them a great deal and one's been hurt with this high ankle sprain. Um so I just, I just, I'm excited to see, you know, once they get past the South Florida game, the, the Georgia game, as they get more and more in the conference play, how these guys kind of fall in line and figure out where they fit. Um, but Mikey's a guy that, yeah, man, he's special. And, and, I, and you see why Brandon was so excited and why he's been on him so hard since he was at NKU. He's just a special talent. He reminds me, and I don't want to overstate it, but, you know, I used to cover UK, and my three seasons covering Kentucky – were uh, Calipari's first three years, and it was John Wall, and then it was Eric Bledsoe, and then it was Brandon Knight, and it was the and it was um, Marquise Teague, and it was the, they they had these great guards um, that were so lightning quick. John Wall was at a different level, but I think Mikey is of that ilk where when he's got the basketball from end to end, man, he is lights out quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, man, I'm I'm it's exciting to see these pieces, and I think Brandon's excited about all these pieces. He just has to figure out, all right, how do these freaking pieces fit together? With that being said, so trying to figure out all these pieces, one of the pieces has now left, and that's Mamadou. Can you give us some insight on that? Yeah, um, Brandon didn't go into too many details. Um, He just basically said that he weighed um, what's going on with his family. I don't know if – um, he, they, they did say that it was COVID-related, that there were some concerns and some health concerns and safety concerns about COVID. Um, and he just wanted to opt out of this year and utilize that um, that rule this year where you're not, you know, dinged on your eligibility and he can come back next year with the same amount of time um, left on his clock. But Brandon did say that he was there were some things going on with his family and that weighed on his decision, and he decided to just opt out. I think... You know, look, Dewey isn't a, a guy that's a heavy stat guy. When you look at the box, he's not, you know, man, he's not lighting up the stat sheet. Um, what he does bring is experience, and he's also a big body, 6'8", 6'9", 230, whatever it is, and he provides depth, um, especially in a game like the Tennessee game where guys are in foul trouble, Chris Volk's on the bench, Tar Eason's on the bench, Keith Williams on the bench. You had six players at one point with three fouls. And you know what we needed? We needed two. We needed a guy who could get on the court and give us solid minutes and can take some fouls and play solid defense. And if he's down below for a lob or whatever the case may be, he can give us a few buckets. Um, But he's just one of those guys that he can give you that – you know, dirty brand of basketball in the sense that, hey, I can just give you hard minutes, everything that I got for however many minutes I play, 
particularly during a game where the depth is challenged. Um, but yeah, I, I think Brandon wouldn't speak on it because I, I think someone had asked him if there's a possibility that Do would come back later in the year, if, if things kind of switched up a little bit, if if the COVID took a turn and it was safer, if he felt safer, and he didn't want to speak on that. Um, but it did feel like, which was great, that um, he has the support of the program and his teammates, and he can still utilize the facilities and the academic resources that are available to him. And so it, it just felt like it was a, um, a mutual thing where they were like, yo, we get it, and if you want to come back, you're welcome. We salute you and, and all that. So it, it it didn't feel like there was any hard feelings at all. It just felt like that was more of like, look, man, this is a really trying time for all of us. And he's obviously got some things going on personally um, that are pulling him away. So he just selected to yeah. opt out, which it sucks. But, um, hey, man, this is a weird time. you got to put family first. Absolutely. And I think sometimes fans have to understand that, you know, you watch a, a young man on the court and there's so much going on off the court that you don't know about. So there could be a lot going yep. on in Dew's life like you talked about. I think a lot of fans were questioning, you know, Dew's averaging eight minutes a game going into the, you know, prior to him opting out before the Tennessee game. And people are like, oh, is he going to jump in the transfer portal? Is this the last we've seen of Mamadou? And that was out there a lot. And I, and I'm, I don't know. Um, yeah. You know. I'm not sure. Honestly, we haven't, I haven't gotten any inkling of that. Um I, I, again, it just it didn't seem that way, but yeah. it wouldn't shock me either. And maybe he, I mean, you know, maybe that is something that's on his mind. And maybe he's saying maybe I don't fit in as like I thought I would this year. Um, but I'm, I don't want to put words in his mouth because he hasn't said yeah, that. They haven't said sure. that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how this thing shakes out in the next um, couple of weeks. But um, I'd, I'd be shocked if we see any ado uh, with Cincinnati for the rest of the year. And, and um, a side note real quick, speaking of the whole COVID situation and, and do uh, opting out, um, I don't know if you had a chance to, to see the video of Keontae Johnson, Florida's star player, going down. Yeah, I finally watched it yesterday. Oh, man, that's, that's tough. And I know Key. I, I know him. And I know the Florida staff very well. That's scary stuff, man. Very yeah. scary stuff. And there's just a lot of – you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. Like, did he have COVID? I mean, he had COVID, but did you know was that yeah. a result of him? That's just that's no, scary. It's scary. It's scary. It's scary. It's um, I I purposely hadn't watched it, and oh, um, tough to watch. my mom texted me last yesterday and was like, "I just saw the video and I can't believe it." So I I pulled it up and I, oh, and and then he was bleeding because he hit the court with so much force, um. My 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 concern is that it's COVID related. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I know that he had it, and I know he had healed or or, or, or recovered from it. Um, but I, I, there are there have there have been athletes, particularly in the Big Ten, that have had um, and I can't remember the name, but it's that heart condition that's that's COVID related, and that was one of the reasons um, why the Big Ten. Um, you know, killed the season initially is that they yeah. had some athletes who had had this heart condition. They're like, yo, this is serious. Let's take a step back. We're not going to play. And then, of course, you know, parents went crazy and some of the athletes, and then they made, finally made it on the field. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm really anxious um, and respect to him and his family, and I hope he gets better. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the priority, of course. But I, I am curious to know 
what's happening. Um, because if it is COVID related, shut all this shit down. <laughs> like, like it's I just like, dangerous. you know, yeah. like, and I think, and, 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 and I'm not, and I don't want to put any, you know, oil on the fire or any, you know, any of that. Like, I, I mean, I just, but I, I, the longer it takes for them to release what's ailing him, it leads me to wonder because if that is the case, and he's such a big player in college basketball, he's an NBA mm-hmm. guy. He's one of the top prospects in next year's draft. If this is, if this does have anything to do with COVID, it changes the perception of everything. Like this is serious, and we need to really, hey, is this what we should be doing right now? Right. Um, right. But the priority. I don't want to, you know, like, I'm not trying to, you know do any rumors or I'm not reporting anything. I just hope that um, I know he's in critical but stable, and I, I want that to in, improve, and, and he's such a special um, young man and young player, and I hope that he's able to, um, one, I hope he's able to be healthy again, and I know he loves the sport of basketball, and I hope he's able to play again, but that, that was really, really tough to watch, really tough. I have never seen a player, like, collapse face first as hard no. as he did. I mean, it was no. like, I mean, you even look at, you know, Scotty Lewis, some of the other guys, they're like, holy, this is, this is bad. Yeah. And, and I, and I just having, you know, met key a bunch. A bunch of them, them. I'm like, oh, I'm like, please, oh don't, please don't, please don't die from that. You know, I, I did get reports yesterday uh, from somebody within the Florida program that he is progressing. Um, so that that is that's a good thing. So I I, I don't think we're going to see him on the basketball for a while. But um, yeah. let's just hope he improves. Um, speaking of improving, <laughs> I think you might know where I'm going with this Uh-oh. free throw shooting. Um, and, and and so I had a Bearcat fan ask me, will they improve on their free throw shooting? And and I said I, I think so. And here's why. I think they're capable free throw shooting makers. Okay, mm-hmm. Keith Williams shot the basketball, you know, well from the free throw line last year. He's struggling hey, right now. Yeah. Right, it's it's yeah. mental right now. He he, you know, Keith can say I don't know what's going on. It's mental as a focus. And I personally think, I mean, if you watch some of these games, the Lipscomb to Xavier to Firm, if you watch these games, a lot of these guys are on the court right now thinking a lot. Right, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you take all of that thinking and you bring that to the free throw line. They're thinking about not not just the free throw. They're thinking about okay, after this free throw, where am I supposed to go? So your concentration yeah. on that particular free throw is out the window. So you know, so I'm I'm, I'm leading to to say this and ask you this. You know, Bearcat fans are like, well, are they practicing free throws? Of course they are. It's a, it's a <laughs> it's a mental thing. What's your take yeah. on it right now? No, I, I agree with you, and I, I think as we've discussed about them learning each other and learning their roles and getting more comfortable with each other out on the court and figuring out what they each need to do to make this team successful, they're all wondering about all of that stuff, and then the best time to think about it is at the line when, <laughs> you know, you got plenty of time by yourself. And um, No, I, I agree. I think we're going to see, just like every other aspect of this team, I think that's going to be an improvement. It's weird to see Keith struggle at the line because we're not accustomed to seeing that. Um, I've asked Brandon, I asked Keith, they're both like, he's fine, I'm fine, it's just something that's going on, I'll get through it. Um, it is definitely a weird thing. Um, and it, I know Brandon said something weird the other day um, about 
they didn't they haven't been practicing offense. Um Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't. I think that they, you know, I haven't. It's, I don't know how Brandon is structuring his practices. We haven't been able to see him, see them yet because of COVID. Um, and I mean, usually every coach has a block where before we even get into stuff, we're at the line practicing free throws. I'm sure Brandon's doing that. But when he said he's not, and I thought like over the years, at least in my lifetime, right? Like, and you play for Bob, and then you got Andy, Andy for a second, and then Cronin, and now Brandon. There are so much defensively minded coaches. Um, that's the priority. We'll figure it out on the offensive end, but we're going to win games with our tenacious defense and we're going to suffocate teams night in and night out. And, um, but I thought, like, when he said that, damn it, they're not making a lot of shots either. Like, if you look at their three percentage, their three point percentage in a lot of these games, they're struggling there. So I was just like, when he said that, I'm like, I feel you, John. I absolutely feel you, and I don't disagree with you at all. Like defense is a priority, and that's what that's been the calling card of this defense for the last thirty or this this program for the last thirty five, forty years. Um, but we need to shoot more. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, and I, I look, Brandon sees the deficiencies in this team. He sees this is where we're coming up short. This is where we need more work. This is he sees that, and I and I asked him. Um, I asked him before you play South Florida Wednesday night um, in open AAC play, what is your priority? And he said, our priority right now, because it's our number one issue, is late game execution. We are really bad at mm-hmm. executing late in games. And yep. if we were better, we'd be 4-0. Um, and so I think he's like prioritized. That's number one. Then we'll get to the free throw shooting. Then we'll, you know, down the line and da 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 da. Um, but you, I think fans got to remember, this isn't your normal year. This isn't right. where we had yep. the same off season. These guys don't even know day by day if they'll be even able to practice. They have yep. to get tested, and then they have to be okay to be able to take the court. If they're not, if there's a, if there's a positive. Uh, a roommate's girlfriend's friend's got COVID and we need you to, we got to take a day off to make sure that nobody has whatever. Like, so everything is weird day by day. Um, And not only is this going to affect Cincinnati, it's going to affect every single, I mean, look what's happening with the football team. They haven't played in a month because of COVID. So it's just, it's, it's, this is a really weird year. Um, and I, you know, everybody's dealing with it, and it wouldn't, you know, things like that are going to pop up this year. Where, man, Keith is usually an eighty percent shooter; he's only sixty-five right now. What's happening? Well, look what these kids are dealing with. Um, you know what I mean? Like these are these people forget, man. Too like, and I saw Coach K the other day, and um, you know, he's he's like, it was coincidental. I think it was coincidental that he came off of back-to-back losses at home, and but I, I think. Look, Coach K's never been one to, you know, shy away from a competition or from a big game. I think you got to remember these kids are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. They're away from their families. Now they're on these campuses where all the kids are gone. Like everyone's gone. The students are mm-hmm. gone home with their families. And this is just, I mean, those of us who are much older are having trouble dealing with these trying these trying times. Um, just imagine if you were a teenager away from your family and you don't know everything's uncertain and you don't know if you'll be able to play Wednesday or 
you know, you got a guy just opted out. You imagine the conversations that were had after Dew decided to opt out. You want to think that some other guys maybe weren't thinking about it or worried about it or so it, it's just I think people fans need to just you know understand these are kids, man. These are these are these are yes, these are young men, but these are still a lot of times teenagers who are dealing with the craziest time that they'll probably ever experience in their life. This hasn't happened in a hundred years. So, um, yeah, man, just give them a minute. Let them sort through their feelings and their emotions and and, 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 and figure this stuff out. <laughs> living living day-to-day is tough for adults. Imagine living day-to-day as a young man, 100%. as a teenager. It's, yep. it's very, very tough. So um, from your perspective, and you've given some great insight thus far, from your perspective, what would you like to see out of this Bearcat team um, at the USF game, and then also going on the road to Georgia. I'd like to see better late game execution. I think that's that was the priority for John. Um, you know, I asked him, he said, that's what we're going to work on these next few days after the Tennessee loss. So I'd like to see some improvement. I'd like to see guys have more confidence um, in out-of-bounds sets um, and just, just have a better rhythm out there after having, you know, you know, a few games under their belt and playing against a really good team and and holding their own against a really good team. I, I think if I'm Brandon, look, he even said after the game, look, we don't take moral victories. And, look, I agree with you. I agree with him. I don't believe in that either. But I think that day, I, I, I think they needed – look, you want to win, a, win, a, win that game. But to go down there and to go toe-to-toe with a team that's as talented as any team they'll face this season – um, I think that was something that they can really truly build on, and you know if Keith is on the court three more minutes that game, it may be we may be talking about a different outcome. Um, so I, I want to see better late game execution. I want to see Keith stay out of foul trouble, and with with Chris Boat back at home in his own gym, bro, like let's 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 get it. Let's get a little more from you, and let's yep. let's figure out how we can. Um, play effective, strong team defense without getting into foul trouble, which is which is obviously something that has gotten um them in some trouble. And then in Georgia, it's another SEC team <laughs> and, and, and Brandon on the road. Stopped, yeah, he stopped short of taking jabs at that ref at the, at that at that crew um in Tennessee. <laughs> like he even be. said, look he was like, yo, I'm I'm a former SEC coach. I've been in this league a lot of years. I know these refs. They're all great guys. I'm fans of all of them. But they had a rough night. You know, we all have rough <laughs> nights and and he and he pretty much stopped there. He didn't want to say any more. Um but he's gonna have another SEC crew on his hands, you know, in in, in next weekend. So, um, and then that's gonna be a game too, where, you know, they're 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 gonna have to really muster a lot of energy, um, probably knowing that the UC football game is at the same time. So there may not be a lot of eyes on you guys. So we gotta play for each other tonight because people may not be watching us because there may be a slim college football playoff selection um, on the line. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, there's a lot of emotion with every game, obviously, but this year included and even more so. Um, so I just want to see some improvement emotionally um, and just them seeing, showing that they're improving and growing as they, they're continuing to get more and more familiar with each other. Yeah. So um, let, let, let's talk quickly, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up here. Um, Coach Brandon, you've, you've mentioned him quite a bit, and you've talked to him. 
in your you know opinion coming coming now into the um circle here of media and dealing with John Brandon um what's your impression of coach Brandon and what are your thoughts on this this basketball program moving forward under his leadership I think Brandon's a really great guy um when I first got here and I called him I called him before I actually got to Cincinnati um, and we talked for, gosh, 30 minutes on the phone, just off the record about our histories and just getting to know each other. And then once I got into town, um, he took me out to lunch, and we just, just chatted off the record and just got to, again, just getting to know one another. And the really cool part, not just about Brandon, not just about Fickle, um, but I, I said this to Michelle clark Heard too, the women's coach, about – I feel that we have three our three most prominent coaches, the three head coaches of our three most prominent programs really love being here. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 not I feel like it's not viewed as a stepping stone. Now we'll never know what the future holds, but you got a coach in Luke Fickle who's an Ohio guy and he freaking loves Cincinnati. His wife's happy, his kids love it here. He gets paid well, and he's got it rolling over there. And then when you look at Brandon, mm-hmm. you know, he's a Northern Kentucky kid who had a, who spent a lot of his childhood in St. Bernard. Um, he was a huge Bearcat basketball fan growing up. Of course, Bobby Brandon's a distant relative, but it, 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 he really, truly loves um, being at Cincinnati. And this is a top ten program. Like this is this isn't like you're you're at you know wherever. This this is a program that historically is one of the best and the most elite in the country, and he views it that way. Um, so we have you know I think Brandon um, is in a re- is a really good coach for this team because he knows the history, he knows where it's been, um, and I, I think he it's it's important for him not just for the sake of his job. Um, but I think him being a fan and knowing the history of this program, it's important for him to restore it and to get it back to where we all want it to be. Um, and so I, you know, having talked with him um, and just you know gotten to know him the little time that we've had, gotten to just chat one on one, he's just he seems like a really authentic guy, and um, it, it 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 has been a pleasure getting to know him. And I think it was a good hire because I just think he's. It's 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 rare when you find just the right guy to be here at the right time. I think Sickles that I think Brandon's that, and I think Michelle Clark Heard, who has a history at UC as well. I just did a story with her. She is so happy at Cincinnati, which is her second home. Her she's from Louisville, but we got three coaches who are really truly happy at Cincinnati, and who are looking to build something sustainable and long lasting, and not just you know, here for a year or two or three and then going to that next step. And I think that's important when you're recruiting and you're trying to build something. You have a coach who's like, yo, I'm not, I'm going to see you graduate. And then when you come back with your kids, I'll probably still be here. And Mm. that's valuable. Um, So I I just, I just think we have that in John and I could say that he leaves in two years, but I mean, but my point is, is that he's, he's really happy here. um, And he, his face lights up when he talks about the future and the players that he have that he has. Um, but I, I think I think we got something special in John. And the the great thing about him too is his players really truly love him and they talk about um, how they trust him and the positions that he puts them in. They trust his play calls. And I think what's great about John too is when he makes a mistake, 
he owns it. He owns so up. like, yo, that was yeah, that was me. That 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 wasn't them. I put them in a poor position last night, or I did this, or I should have done that. That's on me. And it's great when, especially when you're 17, 18, 19, 20, and you're figuring things out, and you got a coach that can say, yeah, that was my fault. So big that fan doesn't of John. happen a lot, Keith. That does no, not happen no. a lot at that level no. with coaches. And we have egos. We all do, and especially when these guys are making crazy amounts of money to to be the CEOs of these programs. Um, you know, a lot of guys are quick to blame, you know, this 18-year-old who, you know, made a turnover on the last, you know, whatever. But, no, I, I just I, – I just when I speak with John, when I speak with Luke, when I speak with Michelle, it just it, – you can you – can, you can you can feel when it's an act or when it's not authentic, and it, it, it they don't really they're just saying what they want you to hear or, and I just don't get that sense with them. So I, I just think we got a really super um, trifecta of coach. I mean, I met Scott Boogans too over at the baseball team, and he's dope. So I just I just think we got a nice um, you know batch of coaches, and I think John is definitely definitely one of them. I, I think the the basketball program's in good hands. I'm I'm glad that Bearcat fans got to hear you say that because I've preached it. I've been at the top of the mountain singing that song for a while, and I'm glad to have another person like yourself saying that. So Bearcat fans will love that. Now, the last part here, I usually do this when I interview a former player, but I want to do this with you here at the end of this podcast. So what I do is I like to ask some quick questions, and I want quick answers from you. Okay, you ready? Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Keith Jenkins. Here we go. Greatest rapper of all time and why? Jay. I think uh, Jay has been able to do what no other rapper has been able to do, and that's stay relevant and sound amazing for 20, 30 years. I just think he has been able to deliver every single time out at every level, whether it's underground, mainstream, pop, um, Current and he and then he's able to shift the culture like anyone else. He says we're button ups, we're wearing button ups. He says we're throwbacks, we're wearing throwbacks. All white Air Force Ones, that's the now the dress code. So, but I just think lyrically and then his influence on pop culture, I think it's unmatched. We agree one hundred percent. That's a long answer. That's a long answer. No, it was. You said quick answer. I'm I'm with you one hundred percent. Have you ever been to a Hove concert? I have. Um, I've seen uh, several of Hove's con- I mean, the the best concert I've ever been to, and I've been to a lot, but it was the Rock the Mic tour um, yeah, in yeah. 2004, that and they came 50, here right? over at, yep, that was a 50, but they also had, that yeah. was a juggernaut. Snoop was there, and then yeah, Missy was on some Bone Crusher. They had, uh, Stabilis was out there. Like, they had a, a lot of a lot of heavy hitters, and this was, was when there, 50 bro. was... 50 oh. was a monster, right? Bulletproof he had, vest, no shirt. Yeah, like he was the he was the <laughs> guy with his G-Unit crew. And then when 50 was done with his set, then Jay dropped. And you were like, oh, shoot, Jake still got to go. And Jay killed Man. it. Jay yes. killed it, yeah. Yes, he did. I'm with you. I was I was there. It was at Riverbend. Do you remember that big yep. storm that came through? Right. Oh, my gosh, bro. Yeah. My freaking – I had some clean – I think I had some – um. Some some fresh white Air Forces that night, and just they weren't fresh and white after that show. It was worth it though. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. No question. No question. Okay. Question number two. Um, in your opinion, greatest Cincinnati sports figure of all time? Oh, wow. 
great question. Um, greatest, greatest, greatest. I'd have to go Barry. Um, mm. That's a tough. That's a tough one, but I'll say Barry because he was my favorite. But more so than that, he won a championship. And I think if we're talking about greatest, mm. like we gotta, we, you, you. I don't know if you can truly be great if you don't deliver a, a, a ring or a trophy. Or um, we don't have a great billet hose in this city, um, and we've had great athletes, but. Barry was an MVP, and he got us a ring. And that, you know, well, let me do my math. He's the last. That was the last one. 1990, I think, is the last time that the yep. city has seen yep. a major championship. So and Barry age, right? was the guy on that. He was yeah, and they swept them bad boys. So, yep. um, so he was uh he was that dude on that team, and he was amazing for the city for years and years and years. So I'll go Barry. Good, man. That's good. I just interviewed Byron Larkin, his brother. He told some great stories about Barry. So. That's uh, spot on. So, all right, um, a third question here, um, and it's it's a two-parter, all right? In your opinion, greatest, and Oscar doesn't count, greatest okay. UC basketball player of all time, take an Oscar out of it, and then the second part, greatest UC football player of all time. Greatest UC basketball player of all time, and we can't say Oscar. Okay. Oscar. Um, I'll probably go Kenyon, and then there may be a, a bit of a recently recent recent bias there, but um, in my lifetime, he uh, was a transcendent talent. Um, he just and to see his improvement year after year, because when he got here, he was just a freak athlete, mm-hmm. and he really was a all around great basketball player by the time he left. Um, and I mean, I just I did the best cross-town shootout performances of all time the other day. And um, I threw Kenyon's performance as my honorable mention because there were just so many great ones that were better than his. But that performance, I think it was 1999, where he had he only had like eight points and eight rebounds, I think. But he had six blocks. And those six blocks were freaking demoralizing. And there was that <laughs> one block that he, he threw to the other side of the damn arena. Mm-hmm. Um so I, you know, that's tough. That's a tough question because you got Danny, you got Nick, but um, Steve Logan, freaking Steve, was amazing. But yeah, I'd have to yeah. say Kenyon. Um, what was the other football player? I, well, real quick, I got a quick Kenyon yeah. question for you on the yeah. box. So uh, we used to have a coach named Rod Baker, who was yep. an assistant coach when I was there. And um, one game, Kenyon blocked. We were playing like UNC Asheville, and okay. Kenyon blocked this dude's shot into like the twelfth row. And after the game, and Kenyon was my uh, locker roommate, and so he's right next to me. So after the game, Rod Baker comes over and says, Ken, I want you to do, do me a favor. And he goes, I want you to watch some video on Bill Russell. Bill Russell would block shots, but he would keep them in bounds so we could yep. get the ball and go on the break. And he was yep. like, I would like for you to start blocking shots and keeping them in bounds. So Kenyon just look, just gives him this look, doesn't say a word. And then Kenyon kind of looks at me and, you know, just has this look. Next game we play, Kenyon goes on to block like three shots, and Kenyon tried to block them so far. (laughs) 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 But Kenyon's point was to Coach Baker. And Coach Baker after the game's like, what the? Like, Kenyon's like, 
I, I get what you're saying, Coach, and I'll, I'll probably do them and do that in certain games, but I'm trying to like kill the psyche of this team. Yeah. If I block that shot and throw it so far, it it, yep. ki- it just kills their mentality. And Kenyon was right; he would do that over and over, and it would just kill the other team's psyche. Every time, every time. And I'll tell you Kenyon's Kenyon story. Um, he was my so I was at Bob Huggins basketball camp in. 1998, either 98, 99, and um, our team won the 5-on-5 five five championship, and Kenyon was our coach. And this was, I think, Dick Shimbo was one of the assistants. Yeah. And um, so, like, Kenyon hated him. And I'm sorry, Kenyon, if I'm like, <laughs> you know, he couldn't stand him. So, like, I remember Dick was like, yeah, he was in the middle of the camp. He had the middle of the court. He had a uh, – he was telling the campers, all right, we got about 10 more minutes, and then we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. and the entire time he's talking, Kenyon is leaning up against the, the basket with, his, with a whistle in his mouth. I'm standing right next to him, and he's just blowing his whistle. The whole time that Dick is talking, he just, and, and then Kenyon used to call him Shim Dick. Like, he used to call him that all the time. I'm so sorry, Kenyon. Kenyon's probably mad as hell. Like, man, you're not supposed to. But that was hilarious. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget yep. that. Good old, good old Shimbo. Yep, he was our. He was yeah. our you're, you're right on yep. that. Kenya, Kenya would give Shimbo so much shit. See? Deserve, deservedly <laughs> so, though. Shimbo right. would do some wild stuff. Okay, greatest UC football player of all time. Greatest football player of all time. Um, you can't say your dad. Your dad's your dad. Yeah, you know, I was, was going to ask you like, something about that. <laughs> um, the greatest football player of all time. Um, and you don't you don't hear that question asked a lot. You always hear basketball, but you don't hear that. Yeah. Um, man, it, it's tough because I, I I'm, I'm I tend to lean toward the guys who have had um, major pro careers after us, but I don't think that's fair. I think if we just limit to just their UC careers. Um, what Michael Warren was, did was special. Isaiah Pete was special. Um, I'm gonna. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna kill for this. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say a different one. Um, and I'm gonna say Gino Gadulli. And Ron, let me tell you why. Because I think he had his struggles. Don't me wrong. Look at his stats. Look at that man's stats and what he did while he was at UC. But also remember his career and where that program was before him and after him. Mm. And that this isn't a this isn't a this wouldn't be a popular choice and there are several other names I could say that would be better choices I get that. Um but his impact on this program and and his impact on this program still because he is the quarterback's coach now yes, and is. look how great Desmond Ritter is playing right now and look at who we just landed in Evan Prater the 2019 Mr. Um, football Ohio Mr. football like you know was a great impact player when he was here as a player um, and he is having that same impact as a coach and as a recruiter and because of all of that all of that in totality I'm going to give Gino the nod, and maybe that'll give me some points, and I'll get an exclusive. You <laughs> <laughs> try to get the exclusive. I like that. I like that positioning. Um, that's good stuff. I, 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 I tend to lean towards Tony Pike in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, I mean, it, that, that Pittsburgh game is still the greatest, you know, the greatest game in UC football history, <clears throat> you yeah. know, and then just the last play, what, what Tony did on the field. I, 
I'm 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 big on Tony Pike. That team was special. Salute to Tony, Marty Gilliard. That was a, that oh. that team that team was special. No question. Uh, lastly, real quick, um, your prediction on the football game uh, this Saturday, 8 p.m. Right? 8 p.m. 8 p.m. 8 p.m. ABC. I'll be there. Um, I think they'll win. Um, I think this team is. This is a legit football team. Um, it's not a. They you know power five, group of five, all that aside. Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman are building a juggernaut through yeah. the recruiting trail, and they're getting them on campus. They're not just – and now they're getting four-star players coming in. But they got a lot of really good three-star players who they have turned into four- and five-star NFL-caliber players. They've yep. developed really well. They play phenomenal defense. And Desmond Ritter's confidence is sky high. And um, we haven't seen this – we haven't seen this team play in, in, a, in a month, but um, they have yet to win a championship um, under Fickle, and that is his goal, to just win a championship. That was his goal from day one, and it is now staring them right in the face. I really hope they're able to take the field because I'm just afraid of COVID and, and something happening yeah. these next few days. Um, yeah. But I, I think Tulsa's a really good team, and they got this kid, Zevin Collins, that is legit. But I think at the end of the day, UC is one of the best – they have one of the best defenses in all of college football. No and offensively, they can kill you in several different ways. Um, and I think they know if there's any shot at all, and it's slim, but if there's any shot at them getting into this college football playoff, they need to go out and they need to dominate Tulsa. And I think they'll do that at home. So, Love score, it. I don't know, 40 to – 17, 21, so you, somewhere in that range. I mean, you feel like they, they've got to blow them out. they got to look – I mean, they need they need to leave no doubt in the committee's mind. And, again, the committee hasn't been able to see them in such a long time. They dropped them in their last rankings um, from 7th to 8th, which was ridiculous because now a two-loss Iowa State team is ahead of them. Um, and they're just showing you that – if you're not in one of those Power Five conferences, you're not getting any any of this money. This is our yep. money. Yep. Um, but UC has an opportunity, yep. a legit opportunity, to be the first group of five um, to crash the party. And if they go out here against Tulsa and say, yo, there is nobody who can mess with us. And you know, y'all think this team is good because Tulsa's a good team and the committee thinks they are. But they need to show that this team is in our league. Like, literally, they can't even be on the same field as us. And if they do that – um, and some other things kind of fall apart here in the next week. You never, never know. They could they could sneak in there and become one of those four teams. It's a, it's a it's a long shot, but it's a it's a it's a shot. We'll see. Keith, this is great content. Um, you were you were gracious with your time. I didn't expect us to go this long, but man, this is all like we were on a roll. This is all great content. Um, it is great to have you in town. Um, it is great to have you reporting on the, the Bearcats. I've kind of followed some of the reporting you, you're doing. I've watched the some of the post-game Bearcat stuff that they post on YouTube and, you know, heard you interacting with the coaches and players and stuff, and I think you do a great job. And even on a different note, it's also great to see more black journalists in our town, especially reporting on the Bearcats. So thank you for that and uh, using your platform for that as well. My man, I appreciate that. It means a lot. I really do. Yes, sir. We're going to catch up soon, man. Let's, let's do this again, okay? I got you, Meach. Thank you, sir. All right, Keith. Be safe, man. You too. Later. I want to thank everyone for listening to Season 2 of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. 
Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, BigMeach41. And I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!